Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Combat Chain Podcast. I am your host, Adam Philipchuk, alongside Pat Shaw. And uh, today we've got a, a special guest with us. Uh, we've got uh, Chris Amusing from Galaxy Gaming. How's it going, guys? It's going good, Adam. It's going and great, man. How, uh, how, how was your weekend? Not too bad. Uh, did, a- uh, did something happen? <laughs> did something happen this weekend? Yeah, you know what? I uh, I was fortunate enough to pull out the t- pull out the win, take down uh, a ProQuest, the uh, Calgary Bento Gaming ProQuest on Saturday. Uh, I think we had thirty eight people there, so not the biggest event, but uh, still moderate sized. You know, the the best in uh, Western Canada came down for. I, there were a couple exclusions, like we didn't see Yuki, um, but beyond that, we had uh, Oliver Chen, uh, he top aided Canadian Nationals, uh, we had Eric Larere, Potato, uh, on Discord, if some of you know him, he also does Spark of Genius, shout out to them, with uh, uh, Rob as well, some great guys over there, some great content, and yeah, some great guys from Alberta as well, Edmonton's best, Calgary's best, kind of all duking it out. Well, let's break it. Let's break it down. All right. What? Uh, first of all, what deck were you running? Hence our guest tonight, Chris. I uh, was lucky enough to get a uh, get his list. He's a uh, part of our uh, our testing team. His list has been performing incredibly well. Wins all over North America that I know of, especially in the the Florida region where um, there's some huge heavy hitters in Florida. I mean, Rob Seigel's down there, Tariq Patel's down there. Um, just a big, a big flesh and blood hub. Uh, and it, it's got some wins down there amongst those heavy hitters. So, and even Chris himself has taken it. Uh, I think he said, was it all the way to the finals, Chris? Uh, yeah, I took it to the the first ProQuest I played this season at Kitchen Table Games. Uh, I took it to the finals against Tarek. Um, it had a pretty unfortunate Sonata at the very end, but uh, performed well all day and, and just just kind of coasted there. There we go. So it's uh, it's it's a phenomenal list, um, really well thought out sideboard. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of funny, like a testament to how good I think this list is. Uh, I, I'd been pre- pretty much since Everfest dropped. I'd been practicing Viscera. I, I uh, Revel was I knew was a busted card, and I knew uh, right off the bat that I I wanted to be doing Viscera things in games. And it was about a week before my first pro quest where I I started uh, looking at Chris's list and I uh, unfortunately had a busy week leading up to pro quest to my pro quest so I didn't actually get a chance to play his exact list and then beyond that I had missed the fact that there was a written out sideboard guide for it so I kind of just looked at the list and went okay I think I know what the sideboard plan is here and I. Uh, on the sideboard side, I went in blind and uh, still managed to, to, to eke out uh, the win. So I think that that's a testament to how well built uh, Chris's list is, that you can, you can just look at it and you can clearly see what the deck's trying to do and what, what the different sideboard packages are. So, I mean, kudos to you, Chris. Um, it's as much your win as it is as it is mine um congrats man oh well man uh, great job piloting it to a victory and it's been really nice to get the the feedback and support from multiple people you know messaging me 
uh, you know, saying it either got them a win or got them, you know, second, which, you know, PTI was passed down to them. Uh, I'm always happy to help. I, I love helping the community and, um, you know, to be able to impart this on quite a few people to help them get to the big show has been been really a pleasure. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really cool to hear. Uh, I know here at the Combat Chain, we're committed to seeing the community grow and to helping people out. So um, to knowing that that you're as equally committed to that is uh, it's always heartwarming to hear. And I'm tell me about tell me about the day. How did you how did you end up in in Swiss? How many rounds? What were uh, if you can recall? What did you what did you face? Break it down. Okay, so six rounds of Swiss. First round was into a dash. <laughs> I I kind of feel bad for round one, honestly. Uh, he was a fairly new guy. Like we we sit down at the table and he's like, "Oh man, this is like my first event. I've never really done this before. I'm completely new to trading cards." And I'm like, "All right, well." You know what? Let let's have a fun game. However it goes, whatever. Welcome to the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome. No, it was nothing like that. I uh he was on a yeah, he was on a dash deck, um kind of like a boost dash and uh so throughout the whole game kind of l- luckily him on boost dash, me on viscerai. It's going to be a quick match anyway, so we have the time to work on the fundamentals and uh make it uh a, a a memorable experience and not not an unpleasant one I, I think that is part of what makes the the flesh and blood community shine is that we're so welcoming to those new players so yeah ended up being able to to, to get the win in round one no problem but i i hope there was still a, a pleasant experience for um yeah that new player i, I tried to commit to, to to making it a likable one but anyway uh on to round two uh ended up playing uh, a fellow local player uh, from Edmonton, uh, but a, a fairly skilled one. He was on Prism, 27 Aura's Prism, and uh, we played a really tight match. We went right down one-to-one life at the end, down to to time, actually. I actually can't remember if he had another turn or if it was game after my turn, but uh, I kind of knew that I didn't have much time left going in. He just, we, we got caught in the pattern of... He would swing and be able to get maybe one card out of my hand, but I was able to maintain and I would then kind of go and get almost every card out of his hand and leave him with one card and just like that that evenly matched back and forth. And I, I knew that I needed to try to set up a way to get a little bit extra to, to, to push over the top and I knew I needed to do it fast because we didn't have much time left. So I... Uh, I, I unfortunately I don't even remember what the the exact play was, but I remember being able to get a card in Arsenal, and uh, the the plan was just to to try to get a card in Arsenal, be able to block enough that I still obviously survived, and could with the card in Arsenal just push a little bit over the top, and I managed to get him for exactly one point of damage on the last attack. So. Whew, that was super close, and that I think that's really that was wait, the wait, match. Wait, the match that was the match that defined my my run throughout the day. Because after that, it was uh, it was fairly smooth sailing round. Uh, but I, I obviously, if I had lost round two, um, I mean, we know early rounds in Flesh and Blood are so crucial to yeah, making top from eight. Placement to, yeah, your tiebreakers, everything, everything becomes more relevant. Those it, early round losses can really exactly can really so. Suck. And, I can and, speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So uh, playing such a tight round two, uh, being able to eke that one out, uh, that was, for me, that was the, the, the confidence maker I needed to push through the rest of the day. Round three played a mirror match uh, against uh, a newer player, but clearly uh, a skilled player. Uh, his name's uh, German. Um, he's uh, the Grey Crusade on Discord, um, mostly active in the Alberta community, though. Uh, he, yeah, mirror match, he had a really good idea what he was doing, but I won the dice roll and, uh, kind of early, right between the early to mid game, I recognized that I had a really powerful hand and that I could pop vexing quill hand to just give my Sonata a little bit of extra gas. And, uh, I did exactly that. Uh, he attacked, I blocked with, uh, Scalata on my turn. I, th- I believe it was Mordred Tied, Vexing Quill Hand, make three rune chants, uh, into Scalata, Sonata, and it just, uh, quite a big turn. Was able to set up a huge life differential, got him below, like in the, like I said, early to mid game, got him below, um, 20. And, uh, I, I think we had about a 10, 15 life point differential at that point, And I was just able to maintain tempo, stay ahead of the game and, uh, close it out pretty quickly. A couple turns after that round four played an old hymn. And I, I, I didn't know if this old hymn, cause I, I know that kind of more aggressive old hymns kind of going around now. And I didn't really know what to expect from this old hymn. Uh, I ended up deciding to sideboard for OTK anyway, and was able to make uh, quite a few rune chants, but then in the the later game, wasn't able to find a Sonata when I needed to. And I got up to like 16 or 17 rune chants, and uh, I couldn't find a Sonata until finally, like I had, it was like my last my last turn i had just a couple points of health left uh i had only 14 cards left. it was actually funny i had more rune chance for my sonata than i had cards to reveal that that's how close to death i or to, to fatigue i was and finally found the sonata did all the scalata things played the sonata revealed my entire deck uh was able to it was actually thankfully uh, pretty much an even split left and that's what allowed me to then carry out, uh, I think I had a Rattlebones in either hand or arsenal, uh, was able to, uh, once again, just barely, uh, come in for lethal. He blocked out, uh... He, he, he blocked fairly efficient, as efficiently as he could on every, ter- on every attack, and, uh, the I, I think on my last attack that turn I kind of had him at four left and I was able to come in for four perfectly. So uh, another really tight game. Uh, but I actually after that so that was um, the first four wins in a row, uh, and that was kind of at that point I was like, sweet, I know I'm locked for top eight. I can kind of victory lap for the last two rounds of the the Swiss, and that's what I did. Um, I I decided to just not sweat it and have fun for the last two uh rounds and i i actually credit part of my top eight success i think to the the fact that i was able to just have fun not not stress too hard about it really try to learn from the games and um i I, i'm really glad i did that round five was a a fairly quick one another mirror match against uh uh a fellow albertan uh by the name of adrian uh he's been uh a phenomenal player as well on uh, uh in the, the Calgary scene 
and uh, he ended up going uh, he didn't quite go undefeated in the Swiss but he went yeah I think he was the second seed going 5-1 uh losing only in the uh the final round of, of the Swiss. So he had a really solid run that day. He uh, he won the dice roll, though, uh, managed to have a really aggressive start. And from there, I just, I, I couldn't get the hands. I couldn't keep up with him. And he ended up taking it pretty quickly. So uh, that was uh, that was the round five loss. And then in round six, what was round? Oh, round six was uh, into a prism. And... Uh, I, I made a crucial mistake in the opening hand of round six. I won the dice roll, got to go first, and I looked at my hand, and this is the first prison I've played all day. No, second prison I've played, but I don't know why I made this mistake. Anyway, I, I looked at my hand, saw I had a read the runes, and I was like, oh, this is a perfect opener. I'm going to make so many rune chants, and I plopped it down, and he went wait, so you don't have an action point, right? And I was like, yep. And then that's when my heart sank. And I was like, oh, I made a mistake. And he yeah, yeah. hammered out uh, an aura and then went to his turn. And then it was like two more auras. And I just couldn't keep up from there. We had, you know what? We had a really tight match. Uh, we went, I had him actually at one. And uh, he started picking me down from nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Uh, each turn, he uh, uh, I, he would dump his entire hand trying to prevent me from taking uh, taking it, and that, that's how close it was. So even with making that crucial mistake in the uh, in the opening hand, I was able to very closely d- contest that game. Uh, but finally, he ended up uh, playing uh, a Merciful Retribution with uh, two auras out. I just popped my Vexing Quill Hand to uh, eat uh, that to, card to try to, to push Lethal, and uh, I couldn't. I couldn't stop the Arcane, uh, and that's how he ended up taking mm-hmm. it. So uh, anyway, ended up like I said, locking for top eight uh, in the quarters. Ended up playing Mateo again. Um, and uh he was uh just above me so he in round six uh, i knew i was a lock and at four two i ended up making it a fifth seed uh i think i was the top four two uh or the top x and two uh and then mateo uh ended up for him in round six ended up being his winning in uh so he ended up being the bottom five one x one and uh so you know what? Uh, once again, to lose a match to to know that somebody else got to also get into the top eight, I'm happy to 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 lose that one when uh that means we both get to make top eight. You know, uh, that's that's a a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so played him in the quarters once again, and uh, he got to go first. Uh, put an aura down right. Uh, put two auras down right away. Uh, a yellow and a, a blue aura. Uh, my turn right off the bat. Uh, I was able to push a little bit of damage and start to slowly manage the auras. And really throughout the game, I was kind of able to just manage tempo, stay on top of the auras. He played a fairly defensive game, but uh, you know, Viscerai can just be so explosive. And I was just slowly whittled him away and uh, got the win there. Uh, in the semis, got to play Eric Larere, uh Potato on Discord, uh, a phenomenal player. He's going to be, I, I think I, I chatted with him a little bit, he's going to be on the Pro Tour no matter what. Like He's got his, uh, he's above me on the, the lifetime leaderboard, uh, so he's 
he's guaranteed his spot and uh looking forward to seeing him there um he, like i said just an absolute powerhouse uh, i'd like to put it in perspective he he played prism and he, he he i chatting with him he was like yeah you know i kind of like played one or two games i've been too busy uh doing my content stuff to actually test and uh He's like, yeah, I'm, I don't really have high hopes from today, and ends up being the six zero in uh, the Swiss. Like that's that's the powerhouse um, Eric is on really any deck, and just somebody who's uh, if he's committed to it, he's just got such a future in this game. Uh, anyway, uh, we uh, played it out uh, in the semis on Bisrind uh, Prism, and just a just a really steady back and forth match. Uh, nothing crazy happened. But same thing, this right ultimately I was able to, he was the higher seed, he got to go first, uh, I got to just kind of stay on top of the auras and whittled him down slowly, and that was the game. Uh, ended up winning it on a Mordred into Revel turn. Like I said, Revel is just a bonkers card in Viserai. It's my favorite card in the set. Uh, I am always happy to draw Revel. I will arsenal it. I will pitch it to keep it in my deck. I'll do everything I can to play Revel uh, at some point in the game. Like It's such a strong card. In the final, I played Sonny Pachuk. Uh, he was on Starvo and kind of funny. I remember, uh, so he's, Sonny is a, a local in the, the Calgary area as well. And Sonny, I guess he's a veteran magic player, uh, new to the game, uh, picked up Starvo. Uh, he was on the kind of something close to the Captain Crunch variant. And I, I remember hearing him kind of at the beginning being like, I have no clue what I'm doing here. I am going to be like, there's no way I'm going to make top eight. And he ends up playing his way all the way to the finals. So good for him. Uh, I know he even took out a few chains, which is saying something. Uh, chain is not an easy matchup. And I know there were some really good chains there too. So uh, good for him making it all the way to the finals uh, he also ended up being higher seed than me so he got to uh, he got to choose uh, to go first and I, uh, I managed to get tempo in that I'll game is really what I'll it came down what, to during this game this game uh, I was watching live on stream uh, when it came on uh, and everyone can watch that stream on the combat chain youtube channel hashtag shameless plug um, I was also uh, I was watching it with uh, Max Thomas on on Messenger, and you made a very uh, very important decision into that matchup. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? You you sideboarded specifically against uh, against his Bravo, and uh, it by the looks of it, it seemed like it it go it went against what you might normally expect, but obviously he who wins makes the right decision. So <laughs> yes. uh, I, want, I want you to talk about what, what came, uh, how you came about that, that decision to sideboard into the game plan that you did and, uh, and, and break that down for us. So typically in any guardian matchup, we're looking at more of on the OTK side, uh, just with the amount of uh, damage they are able to prevent in general. Uh, old him, especially on top of that, being able to just prevent insane amounts of damage. Uh, you really need that extra oomph to push over the top to really overcome whatever their hand is able to prevent. Uh, their hand and their equipment and whatever tricks that a guardian may have. So uh otk and semi-otk are preferable strategies uh in most uh guardian matchups with viscerai but 
I had the good fortune of my car pool buddy, uh, Brandon, I am Havoc on uh discord he uh he had played the the played uh sonny right before i did in the uh semi-finals uh, no in in the quarterfinals he had played uh my apologies played sonny and he was kind of able to give me a little bit of insight on on what sonny had going on really and he was able to identify the captain crunch uh, variant properly and uh we kind of had a quick little chat where he was like you know what uh if you play your otk you're you're toast so I, I, and after that little discussion, I was, oh man, I was sweating. Cause I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I sideboard OTK? Do I not? Uh, maybe Brandon's right that, uh, if I'm an OTK, I'm going to be a sitting duck and he's just going to be able to hit me with pummels and crippling crushes. But on the flip side, um, he is a guardian and our team knows what our team knows and, we've tested for this and so i was i was sweating going into that match and i ended up trusting my gut to go you know what if he's if he's in fact the more aggressive build that i think he is i need to play tempo i need to race him and anyway i uh i did just that i you won I, a freaking pro quest adam yeah you won it <laughs> you killed the guy you killed bravo and you won a pro quest congratulations adam thank you it's yeah it's a big it's a big friggin deal yeah it was now, uh it was pretty special the question the question everybody really wants to know is what did you pull talismanic lens Ooh, that's a good one that is a good one yeah and you're you're kind of a you're kind of a wizard guy anyways aren't you, you yeah so it's uh it definitely fits for you and in fact here, here's the funny part as i started thinking i started thinking well okay if i start playing with a gold foil the rest of my equipment's gonna look out of place so then you know like what would a gold foil tunic cost and a gold foil metacarpus nodes and that's a slippery slope uh i was calculating yeah. it's yeah. a few 10 20 dollars or something like that to fully gold foil out kano <laughs> though it is pretty badass yeah, that you can no i was just saying about the equivalent to cost of a tesla <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> spot on in cardboard worth it, i though. saw someone uh someone was looking to buy gold foils only on uh the facebook marketplace i think they were offering something like 10 grand for a gold foil tunic and down the, from there but it was it was a large sum of money the there's amount. a guy in hong kong snapping turtle i think is his name he yeah. has a fully gold foiled out uh i think it's a dash deck now like everything wow. is cool. It does open the door. You get there's all the co the commons and majestics there. You can you can you can do it. And the weapons, right? You got some dawn blades and some anathosis there. All of a sudden, you're getting into uh, you're getting into EDH level bling here on uh, possibilities on some of these decks here. You know what? On online right. events, I might I might pull out the the lens uh, the gold yeah, foil lens. Yeah, just a little, but... just. But I can't bring myself to bring it to locals, uh, you know, especially no. trust me. when when you I, I just imagine like being a new player and sitting down next to someone and they're flashing a gold foil and it's like, well, how did you get that? Well, I won this event and now you're thinking, oh, great, I'm sitting next to like this person and they're just going to school me. And like, I don't I don't want to do that to new people. That's not fun. I will say, I think I think winning a pro quest, especially in in Canada is I think just about as as hard of a challenge to do as anywhere else in the world that the concentration of talent there is immense and you might have wide swaths of an uninhabitable land but you you guys all seem to find a way to 
converge into similar uh, into the same area here uh and you have uh like just just as as much of a of a murderer's row there uh as anywhere else so pulling it out uh in that kind of environment i think is a real real testament to uh one's proficiency in this this complex game we all love here well thank you um no you're it's uh yeah it's pretty special um i i feel very accomplished we'll say and uh, i'm excited yeah, to see what one. what what happens next uh definitely definitely want to stay hungry and stay humble and uh keep pushing there's now still a lot to be done you test for a, a, a pro tour yeah unless, unless 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 you're focusing on skirmish level season four i think you might be a little little a little beyond that at this point going i think concentrating on the pro tour is probably your maybe will i sleeve up like a data doll or something for skirmish maybe we'll see uh that could be fun i definitely wanted to see how microprocessor plays uh but uh yeah um that's the next focus is uh pro tour at this point i mean i've got one more pro quest coming up this weekend uh on uh on saturday uh we will be streaming that as well on the combat chain excellent uh the uh taps uh taps gaming uh pro quest so uh details does that start that starts at uh 11 a.m mst uh so that's going to be 11 12 1 1 p.m uh eastern all right well we talked about how you got there now let's talk about the man who built the deck that you took to get there amusing how are you doing? We're going to a little formal introduction here now that uh, Adam has uh, broke down his ProQuest win. Uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and, and uh, tell the crowd a little about your history in TCGs, Flesh and Blood, and your association with Galaxy Gaming? Anything else you want to sure, sure. like to talk about? Uh, first and foremost, congrats, dude. That's awesome to hear. Uh, awesome you know, recap of the event, and congrats again. But yeah, so I'm amusing. I am the, I guess, owner, founder of Galaxy Gaming. We're a local team here in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got some really good players on the team. We have four of us now. Um, trying to get five and six this weekend. We've got two pro quests, but we've got four of us right now that are qualified for the pro tour. Uh, so 50% of our team is qualified, which is is huge when you look at the region and the area that we come from. So very, very happy for my team and very proud of those guys. They're, they're doing really well. Uh, I've been in TCGs uh, not for a super long time. I played Magic before Fab. I played Magic for about five years prior to Flesh and Blood coming out. Uh, I used to frequent the SCG Tour. I had a invita- um, points invite on the SCG Tour uh, before COVID hit. So I was on their invitational uh, circuit. Uh, and that was probably the highest I ever got in Magic. Uh, was, you know, just points on that tour. Um, but then I switched over to Flesh and Blood during COVID, and I just dove in, man. The game's been a blast. Um, it's very in-depth. Uh, it just offers a lot of strategic possibilities and, and different ways of approaching deck building that Magic didn't offer me. Uh, so I, I dove all in, uh, sold all my Magic cards, <laughs> um, and uh, I haven't touched it since. I've been all in on this game. So Same. I did. I did the same thing. Sold I mean, out. Sold out of MTG. Sold all in on Flesh and Blood. We're all ex Magic players. Let's be real. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, that's that's my my background getting into the game. Now let's talk about this uh, this deck here. Uh, so you have built uh, quite 
the list uh, for Viscerai, uh, the Rune Blood. Um, it has some very innovative things uh, going into it, um, and um, and like I said, we we've all uh, myself, Adam, Max, Thomas, and a few others uh, have really taken this list and ran with it, and uh, you know that is uh, a testament to the quality build here. So I'd like you to kind of help us break it down. What, what it will break down the decisions you made into building this. Um, I am looking at a link. Um, I believe it is the most up to date. It was posted in the test discord on the yep. third. So uh, it, if it, I like my is... most, I like my most uh, up to date one uh, to Adam. It's uh, it has a couple changes. Um, from what I think you and Max played, just mm -hmm. some, a, a, some a, or well, I played uh, a couple little tweaks to it uh, over the from over the weekend. Um, but for the most part, yes, the link that you have that you would pull up if you click it uh, is probably fairly accurate. Okay. Um, why don't we start with let's start with the equipment, and uh, well, we can go from there. Why? Uh, let's talk about your equipment choices here. I know one stands out uh, that most people are not running, and that is Sutcliffe's. I run the normal Arcanite, you know, Bloodsheet, Grasp, and Spellbrana. Uh, every list is running those. Mm -hmm. uh, Swades, you know, I looked at what matchup I, I knew was going to be really relevant and prevalent, which was Starvo, obviously. And in our testing, in our team testing, we realized that there's some times that right before you need to go off, you will get Oaken ulted or you'll get Crippling. And mm -hmm. you will lose the only non-attack action in your hand. Right, and you may just have extra pitch, but you don't have anything to even creepers in. And so what we found is we wanted to remove needing to have that piece because you're under such you're so much under the gun in that matchup to go off when you have to go off. Like Starvo dictates when you have to go off. You don't get, you don't really get a choice. You just try to get to a certain number of rune chance to be able to go off when they force the issue. And so Sutcliffe's really just kind of gave us the opportunity to remove one piece of the puzzle needed to go off right so mm -hmm. you know we we found that yeah after after the the otk turn against starvo it, it is kind of difficult to finish out the game but we just found that on the otk turn itself Sutcliffe provided more consistency to be able to push the damage needed so that's why we, we chose to run that in the deck it's only for that matchup there's no other reason it's in the deck we don't mm -hmm. bring it in any other matchup and then Quillhand, <laughs> Quillhand is 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 literally super op. Op. I don't. I think people are still sleeping on this card. I run it in almost every matchup, right? Like it's it mm -hmm. is that strong. Um, I don't think people realize that it, it, the amount of value. It's not just giving you two range chance. It's giving you resource reduction. It's giving you damage. It's giving you arcane barrier, and it's all on demand. So that card is is very very strong, and I think people. Uh, still kind of undervalue it. I understand. Agree. Agree. Vexing, yeah, vexing Quillhead almost feels like a uh, a chess piece in in the uh, the fact that it, it it's almost counting as like a resource uh, for for a lot of things that Visceride does. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting because you'll actually there's some matchups where you'll be depending whether or not you're on the play or going second, you'll run uh, Grasp or Quillhand. But I mean. I, there's only the only matchup I don't run Quillhand 100% or like sorry the only matchup that I always use uh, Grasp is going to be either Starvo or Dorinthia. Um Moving on to your uh, the cards in the deck, 
if we're looking at the red pitch here, I think that there is uh, there is one. There's a couple standouts here. I'm looking particularly at if there's still in there. Adam, send me. Do you send me the send me the updated link? Make sure I'm not talking out of my ass here. Yeah, I'll send it. To spice you. is still in there. The spice is still in there. We, we're not removing the spice. Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about that spice. And if we're looking at the red pitch, there's a couple cards here that uh, I'm not seeing in a lot of other different lists. Uh, and one of them is lead the charge. Yeah. So I approach deck building, um, and, and I, I have to give credit where credit's due. I slept on lead the charge myself originally. And another player in the Viscerai Discord, Wanji, uh, was running Lead the Charge, and I had a conversation with him. And we were talking about it, and, and the way I approach deck building is toolbox. Like I, I like cards that have multiple applications and multiple matchups. And so when we started talking about Lead the Charge, it absolutely made sense. Now, I don't think he's back on E-Strike. I'm on E-Strike because of the you know symbiotic relationship with Lead the Charge. But mm-hmm. the two Lead the Charge... In a prism-heavy meta, or you know, a third of the meta or twenty-five percent of the meta's prism, lead the charge is fulfilling two roles. It's another non-attack go-again action, uh, you know, action card, which fits into the tempo plan, but it also has application to deal with ALS, to deal with you know, catching up on auras and hitting multiple auras. So it had this appeal to me where I can run it in multiple matchups, and I don't feel like it's just a sideboard card. It is there. It- there's a ton of utility, a very underrated uh, utility when it comes to that card. Oh, and I mean, even after playing uh, playing the deck uh, this weekend, uh, lead the charge uh, was a powerhouse into so many cards. Like it, it enabled uh, amplify the Arknight to be a much more usable card. It uh, makes it, it has an interesting play pattern with read the runes, and I I know that that's not it, its initial purpose. But uh, in the OTK plan, uh, to be able to just puke out that many more rune chants, I did do that once or twice, and uh, when it was uh, convenient, and, and just the fact that it, it literally can do almost anything, uh, lead the charge is a really cool addition to the deck. So the ceiling for the deck for us in testing was, you know, obviously on when you look at the deck list, you immediately think, oh, well, lead the charge, e strike. You know, you can middle your turn, fix an awkward hand by going lead the charge, e strike, draw a card. Right, and it fixes that all red hand. It fixes that clunky draw that you sometimes happen with this right. I mean, it just happens. So it gives application there. But one of the bigger applications for that card is actually being able to end the turn on rune chance, to be able to play a card off of lead the charge to get two action points, to be able to Rosetta mid turn to follow into something to lead rune chance onto the next turn, right? And when you're playing tempo, if you end the turn on like a spellblade assault. Well, I mean, you have three rune chance going into the next turn. Your first amplifier rune flash is free. Yeah. So it just opened up so many unique play patterns and play lines uh, that we thought that the ceiling was so high for the card that it felt silly to not include it. Doesn't that aspect of being able to Rosetta mid turn is something that I think Chain had over over Viscerai, and to be able to kind of replicate that even in a limited basis with Viscerai to to be able to attack for that mixed damage weapon. Uh, in the middle of the chain as opposed to just specifically on the tail end, I think is a huge uh, boost to the deck. Yep. And then, I mean, that leads into the fact, obviously, we're running E-Strikes. You know, a lot of lists have actually omitted E-Strikes and have cut E-Strikes, but um, I play more semi-OTK-oriented than most. 
most of my matchups, I'm playing semi OTK. I'm not playing hardcore tempo. So um, I like to break, be able break down what, what you mean by semi OTK when you come into sure. when you come into this list. So semi OTK to me doesn't mean I start every game trying to accumulate rune chance, right? I think that's the wrong way of approaching it. Semi OTK to me mean, means that at some point in the game, I have cards on my deck that are going to generate a good chunk of rune chance, whether it's six, seven, eight on a turn. And on that turn, I'm willing to pivot to more of a rune chant generation for one or two turns to have an explosive sonata with you know with skeleton and, and sonata. So it's it's playing the hands and filtering your hands to where you're you're not you're not stuck on one direction with the deck. You're willing to pivot if the hands dictate that. If that makes sense. Oh, hundred percent. And it, I think that's a big part of where the power of the deck comes to is the fact that it has that versatility that it can pivot back and forth as needed uh play into different game plans play into different strategies uh that was what i noticed with it was that i it felt like i had to go back to the toolbox uh analogy it felt like i had the tools for every job and uh that i think in part is what's remarkable about the deck yeah um i i see a lot of lists right now that are that are very tuned towards tempo and um I mean, they're they're not bad lists by any means. People are winning, you know, plenty of ProQuest with them. Uh, but again, you know, coming from, you know, I used to play Jund. I used to play, you know, Heliod Combo. I like having a toolkit. So, you know, I have cards in the deck that fit multiple matchups where I don't feel like I don't have agency in any one because I'm hedging too much towards another. I think one of the, um, one of the big deck building decisions when it comes to here and especially coming into the pro quest was uh in, in viscerai lists was how many defense reactions can we run how many is how many is the right number in in this list you have six total right three unmovables and uh three reduced to rune chance um how do you how did you come to that that conclusion that that was that was correct for you Stomp by Starro a ton. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll be honest, man. We we went back and forth and back and forth on on the number of defense reactions on the list. At one point in time, I had two sync, two reduce, uh, two unmovable. There were times where I had none. There were times I had just the three unmovable. And um, what we found is because I am oriented to playing semi more often than not in most matchups, the reduces felt good. Okay. I, I think that if you're not okay playing semi or you don't like playing that style, you should probably not have the reduces in the list unless you're specifically putting them in for Starvo and Lexi, right? Um, now, you'll notice I have 22 blues in the list, and most lists are running 20 and 21. Um, I have a flex blue, and I have that flex, uh, flex blue in the list specifically for the unmovables. Uh, running 20, 21 blues with the movables feels really bad sometimes. It's clunky. Um, and we were always kind of resource starved running them. And I can see where some people would think they're clunky because they're probably running 20 to 21 blues. Um, but we felt that uh, the vexing malice in the list here, that blue vexing, is actually a flex blue. It is not in the deck unless the unmovables are in the deck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but uh, to, to focus in on why I chose those defense reactions, I mean, look, you, you need to hedge against Starvo. Unfortunately, right now it's just so relevant. Um, and being able to park an you know unmovable in arsenal, it, it time walks them basically for a turn. It gives you that time you need to be able to rune shit generation. Are you going to draw sometimes and not be able to have it in your arsenal? Absolutely. 
it's going to suck. But at the same time, the opportunity cost is worth it. So we felt that the three unmovables and the three reduces were good. Um, can they also screw up your Sonatas? Absolutely. You know, you've got landmines in your deck on your Sonatas. You just have to count how many you've played and count how many are in your graveyard. And, um, you know, hope for the best. Hope for the best. Yeah, but I mean, Absolutely. I think when you're also playing in that OTK, semi-OTK plan, you're, you're willing to play a slightly longer game. And at which point, uh, I think that is the, the key to playing the Sonatas in that game plan is also being aware of, okay, uh, I should probably give my deck some time to filter out my... And, and when you're playing that game plan, you want to attrition some of your opponent's decks. So uh, waiting till you hit your unmovables, giving your, your deck a chance to filter out and, and set itself up so that when you hit uh, this, when it, you hit that moment where you're ready for that Sonata, you're able to have the powerful Sonata you want. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing with the unmovables is, um, you know, and, I, and I've seen a lot of people play Viscerai, and I've watched a lot of people play Viscerai, is is not to use them on raw damage, right? Like if you draw into it and then they, you know, start to activate, and you're going to take 14 damage that turn, right? It's just damage. What you what you can't afford is you can't afford to unmovable an evergreen, and then not have it for when they oak an old, right? So I think discipline is really important with the defense reactions, not to just use them because you have it in your hand um navigating it into your arsenal is huge for when they you know come with those those more impactful on hit dominated attacks yep exactly level up <laughs> <laughs> this episode is going to be chocked full of them hopefully that's good that's one of those that's that's a good the discipline play right taking taking the raw damage arsenaling the immovable saving that for when you when your life depends on it yep what would you consider is your main uh, your main configuration here uh do you i know you you like to keep a an extra read the runes I, I suppose some some people like to take read the runes out uh i believe you like to keep at least one in at all times even if you're going uh into that more tempo uh yep yep so my main my my main core uh is a 46 card deck uh, mm -hmm. i have 34 that i interchange in and out you know my e strikes Tide. Uh, Rattle Bones, the one read the rune, rune flash, Sonata, Gloom, all the Spellblade Assaults, the rune incantations, and then all the blues are core, uh, except for mm -hmm. Vexing Malice, which is the one flex blue that I have. Mm -hmm. So all the read the runes outside the one red, the revels, the defense reactions, even the meet and greets are considered flex spots. Excellent. And then the, the amplify, yeah. Where it seems like uh, some people have different sweet spots when they're when they're talking either semi OTK or OTK. On your on your rune chant accumulation, what would you? What are you targeting when you're going OTK or semi OTK? What what's your target uh, rune chant count before you start going off? Sure. So semi OTK again. It's for me semi OTK is more of like a fourteen to fifteen rune chant. Like if I can get there, uh, ten is fine. Honestly, like if you're if you're gonna you know apply pressure afterwards and you want to you know push the tempo, you can you can have a really good sonata turn off of ten rune chants, right? Uh, especially if you're running Quill, make it 12, and maybe you pitch into it a little bit and reveal, you know, 10 cards. Uh, that's perfectly fine. That's a huge tempo bust. As far as, like, pure OTK, uh, you know, the way that Starvo's playing right now at old time, but he's, you know, old time's not really relevant right now, but Starvo, <laughs> the worst thing you can do is go off on Starvo and get him to, like, 7 life because you're not running any other non-attack action go-again attack, or, you know, no other non-attack actions that are giving go-again. 
because you board out the yellow mobs, you board out the lead the charges against Starva. So you only have the blue Bovern skies for Gogan. So if you don't finish them on that turn that you go off, it is extremely hard to kill them because of crown and shield, and they can actually block pretty well. So you really need to try to aim for 22 to 24 chance. I found that that's probably the sweet spot to be able to, to push a Starvo over. Maybe more if they have a Blizzard in hand or an Arsenal. But, uh, but yeah, that, that 22 yeah. to 24 mark is probably right. Awesome, awesome. Um, looking at this list, do you have... Are there cards that are not on there that you, you're thinking about tinkering? Are there are there some honorable mentions here that you're still would be willing to put in in the right circumstance um, or cards that just miss the cut uh, for this particular build that you might otherwise uh, like? Yeah, I think uh, one card that um, is is very close to being included is Red Shrill. Uh, Red Shrill mm-hmm. is, is really good on raid. It's two for seven. It forces awkward blocks. Um, you know, it can really push some extra, you know, on hits with Mavrin Skies. So it, it's a great on raid attack. I see some lists that have Amplify removed and they've put in Shrill, but I'm very hesitant to do that because Prism does exist mm-hmm. and I want all the cracks that I can have. Right? If it wasn't for that, if Prism wasn't relevant in the meta, I'd probably be running Red Shrill. Um, because it's just it's just a great card. I run the blues, I love them. Um, but I think that one's very close to making the cut. Um, and then, I don't know if you have my most recent, but I keep going back and forth between two and three Rattlebones. When you're playing OTK, it's 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 awful. Like, I mean, it, it, you want one in the deck. I like one in the deck for OTK. Um, but I find that they actually can make the, the draws really clunky early game. They're terrible early game. They're great late game when you have like a, you, you know you're playing attrition and you're going back and forth and you keep a blue in hand with the rattlebones. I mean that threatens eight damage from rattlebone swarm into Rosetta. But mm-hmm. these circumstances are kind of niche, and there may be a time where we go down to one rattlebones in the list. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, but but that's a potential change. That's a little jarring to actually hear. I love Rattlebone. I, I mean, it's it's a great card on paper, but but what you find mm-hmm. is when you have it early game, it just doesn't do what you want it to do. You tend to block with it anyways, right? And it's it's a red, so it makes pitching awkward early game. As so. as you're saying that, I'm going back to the games that I lost in my Procast weekend and just recently, and realizing that there was a lot of like, you know, getting Rattlebones in my first or second second draw realizing that there wasn't much going on and that it was it was a clunky play and trying to make something happen out of nothing involved shenanigans like you know swarming clothes get rattle bones out there so i can grab swarming again because it's the only thing in my my graveyard just you know stupid little things like that because uh the rattle bones coming at the wrong time uh, I, I think that in a post-starva meta like it, it, if Starva gets a ratted or banned or whatever happens after the BNR announcement on I think it's April fifth, there may be a world where I go back to three E strikes, three red lead the charge, and remove the amplifies for a red shrill, and have a more aggressive you know configuration because there will only be one deck in the format that really requires you to go OTK in old time, and you really don't need a board much for it, right? Your normal OTK right, right. configuration is pretty decent for it. Do you think we're going that? Do you think we're going down that road with Starva? I think- I think he's getting banned. I mean, I think there'll be an errata, either an errata or a crown ban, actually, mm. is is where my mind's at. I, th- I think Crown of Seeds mm. is, may get banned. 
because crown is what actually enables starvo to be as consistent as he is it's the engine um so so as it stands right now uh how do you feel about viscerai's position in the meta you know we 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 call it we call it the big three um but how do you how do you feel how do you feel about it right now so hot take and i may catch flack for this and it this is my opinion not y'all's (laughs) um i actually don't think that the meta is so i think that starvo actually does not have a bad matchup against uh prism i think that as starvo learns to play against prism more um i think that prism will actually fall out of favor because i don't think prism has a good viscera matchup and i don't think prism has a good starvo matchup you know too many starvos are switching to going face too quickly instead of aura management and you know i watched six or seven games this week this weekend in florida where you know relatively good prism players are playing relatively good starvo players and the prism were not winning unless they had like a turn one double aura turn and even then i mean the, the starvos are running time skippers to catch up on those turns so the big three honestly my big three is actually viscerai starvo and chain and it's not prism so but as far as like going into the next meta i think viscerai is still really strong but i think that it's going to have some some new blood to watch out for i think katsu is really going to rare its head if something happens with starvo that was gonna be my next question are you um yeah what what other heroes are you are you are you looking at um in in a potential you know meta shift here is there anything is there anything there that uh i suppose hasn't kind of reared its head yet that you would be scared of you know possibly getting you know increasing in tier and becoming a uh, a challenge here. I mean, outside of you know what we're what we're doing right now, um, in terms of the big three and chain yeah. uh, and such, is there is there kind of a dark horse that you you've kind of had your eye on? So yeah, we're. I mean, like I said, we're testing Katsu. Um, yeah. the, the thing that the reason, like, I mean, Katsu's still top eighting, right? Even with the amount of Starvo that's in the field, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the ability for Starvo to crown and shield removing Kadachis, you know, from ever being effective. Um, the biggest threat that Katsu has is even bigger than that on Kadachi hits. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean it's it's yep. it's such a huge power play. And when you have a hero that completely invalidates that, um, they just don't have the punch they need. But if you remove Starvo or remove Crown and you don't have that damage prevention and they have to start draining cards from their hand to block the Kadachis, that matchup looks a little different. Um, mm-hmm. But if Starvo is completely gone Katsu has an amazing matchup against Prism. Like it's 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 horrendous for Prism. And then Katsu has a really good matchup against Viserai, right? Obviously draw dependent, but um I think both of those those matchups are are very very winnable for Katsu. So I think that he's in a good spot to to come full force uh, after Starvo gets, you know, fixed. I agree with that, especially if they go the crown route. That, that that'll definitely be uh a boost uh for Katsu. Yep. We actually have a, an internal pool, and I think it's made available to, to check the percentages on uh, Starvo's ability to hit the fuse rate on his hero ability without mm-hmm. crown, and it's like 29 to 30% with the mm-hmm. high elemental lists. When you add crown into the mix, it goes up another 20-25%. Dane. And yeah, that's nuts when you put the numbers behind it. I think... Uh... I think that might might close us up here. Yeah, a big thank you to uh, Chris once again for joining us. Uh, Chris, we'll give you an opportunity here. Is there anything, I know, I know with having Galaxy Gaming and the budding uh, team that you're working on, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, any 
Yeah, yeah, I just uh, I appreciate you guys having you know me on here to begin with, and uh, yeah, huge shout out to all my teammates on Galaxy Gaming, uh, the playtesting and insight that they give me, uh, you know, increases. Uh, it makes me a better player, and I love those guys. They're all hard workers. They all put the time in, put the effort in. Uh, we are trying to grow into, you know, a known uh, a known team, a household name for a team uh, within the, you know, the the calling circuit and the pro tour circuit. So, you know, if you guys, uh, you know, follow us on um, at Galaxy Gaming. Galaxy is spelled as if it was Galaxy Black, the sword. So, uh, you know, we uh, we give an homage to to Chain there. So, but yeah, we'd love to have you guys follow us. We give give we do giveaways all the time, and we're very active on there. We're gonna start doing some deck techs and uh, some coaching soon. So, a huge shout out to to guys on my team. And uh, again, thank you for having me on here. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. This is this has been really great. And speaking of giveaways, Adam, we're cry- we're climbing up to our hundred subscribers. Uh, on YouTube, where we're we're kicking and screaming our way up there, we're almost we're almost there. We're climbing, but we know at a hundred uh, hundred subscribers, we are having our own giveaway uh, for the channel. We are giving away deck boxes. We are giving away sleeves. We are giving away cold foil promos. Uh, so make sure you like and subscribe. The YouTube channel will be giving those randomly away to uh, four lucky. Uh, people who are subscribed uh, to the channel. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, we're so close to that uh, that hundred mark. With uh, especially over these past couple weeks, we've just been skyrocketing up there, and it's been really exciting to see. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, I am at bomb toolery tcg, and I'm. I swear, guys, I'm really making a really big effort to actually be active on it's there. Not, you made like two posts last week. I was super proud of you. You're really <laughs> engaging. And then, yeah, this weekend, I actually had so much fun uh, engaging this weekend, too. Uh, I got some engagements with some some really cool people. So that was uh, that was really exciting. I'm and I'm I'm putting in the work there to, to interact with you guys. Uh, and then, Pat, you're at Pat Smash. Good. I am, yes, I am. And uh, uh, you had mentioned uh, that we are, in fact, on the uh, Combat Chain YouTube channel streaming another ProQuest this coming weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be doing, uh, I teamed up with uh, the, the TO uh, Taps Gaming uh, to uh, bring you guys uh, more uh, Western Canadian flesh and blood action. I love that Canadian bacon. You guys <laughs> have that huge, humble energy. You know what, that was one of the big takeaways I took, uh, I, I took from, your, from your breakdown there is everyone's apologizing for being good at flesh and blood over there. I don't know what it is. That's funny. Yeah, we're, we're just apologetic about everything. Sorry, eh? <laughs> Oh, I will uh, force all of my team members to like and subscribe your YouTube channel. Yes. We appreciate it. <laughs> and you can catch us uh, on all uh, streaming platforms uh, for our audio podcast. And uh, I think, I think, Adam, I think that might be it. Yeah. Until, uh, um, until next week. Can we get, can we get, hold on, on. can we get Chris on this? This is a clusterfuck. I'm not going to lie. We're going to try and say, he's, he's going to say, what are you going to say? So I go until until next week. week, And then we all say together, we're closing the combat chain. We have, we have not gotten it. (laughs) Uh, Until next week. He's going to say until next, uh, he's going to say it. And then we're all going to say closing the combat chain.
Oh boy, here we go. Right. Yeah, yeah, I can I can edit so it in the post, mess. and it, it usually sounds fairly good. So, all right, guys, until next week, we're closing, closing the combat. combat chain. Yeah, good enough. Oh, like poetry. <laughs> Started too soon. I went too soon. Nope, nope. It's 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 right on brand for us right now. <laughs> I love it. I love you it. You guys are awesome. And here in round six, we're looking at the all 22.